Amen. A day to celebrate the amazing grace of God in Jesus. All right. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. So today, as I already mentioned, is the coming together of two amazing dates. Right? Two amazing days that come together. One is Halloween, which actually starts tonight, All Hallows Evening. And today is also Reformation Sunday. They don't always end up uh, the same. Um, but today's the day we remember these two things. And it's not just to remember the monk, the professor, Martin Luther, um, how he was looking for a debate about indulgences and penance and forgiveness. Remember how he nailed up 95 theses on the Wittenberg Castle door? That was normally how you would uh, put forth some uh, things to talk about and to debate uh, at a university. So it seems kind of odd, but that was the normal way to go about things. But it did spark a movement, a movement to turn back to God's word. Some people took those 95 theses and ripped them off and took them to a printer, and before you know it, it was all over Germany. Uh, that's the Reformation, how it began. 95 theses, very important. Would you all agree? All right. Um, but most kids today are probably thinking about 95 Reese's, 95 Reese's Pieces, 95 Peanut Butter Cups, 95 Snickers, whatever, right? You all have a favorite? I know you guys bought candy for kids and it's like mostly gone, right? <laughs> I know you. Um, well, today's the day where we think about filling up our plastic pumpkins with candy. Anybody still have a plastic pumpkin around somewhere? Those are the very best, all right? Um, and it's fun. It's joyful. But there's a dark side to Halloween, and I'm not talking about cavities, right? There's this dark side. Uh, Halloween is a night in some ways where we think about, on purpose, we think about our fears. And so in some ways, Halloween and the Reformation have some things in common. Not only did the Reformation start on Halloween, but they're both about facing fears, and the Reformation, as I mentioned, it's more than just Martin Luther's story of finding faith in a, a gracious God as people returned by faith alone and grace alone to God's uh, amazing grace in the scriptures alone. It was more than just Luther. Luther was not alone in finding this God of grace in the scripture. But Luther preached to a whole era of people who were ready to hear it these people were burdened with their guilt and their fear of God's judgment. So 504 years ago, when the Reformation started, the world, it was a world full of people who were haunted. Haunted with their sin. Haunted with the, the coming judgment of God. I think St. Paul in our epistle today puts it, kind of captures the moment, even though he wrote you know, 2,000 years ago, he captured the moment 500 years ago, the way that many people felt. So if you have your bulletin, I invite you to turn to the epistle reading. I made the print a little bit bigger there, Romans chapter 3. So go ahead and turn there. This was sort of the mood. If you look at verse 19, this was the mood 504 years ago. It says this, Now we know that whatever the law says... It speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. 
So let's back up just a minute. This is chapter 3 of this letter to the church in Rome. And in the beginning chapters, chapter 1, Paul is setting the scene and he's describing these, we could call them pagans, people who worship multiple gods, people who indulged in uh, many different gratifications. And Paul says that they know what's right in their heart. They have this law written in their heart and they don't keep it. They're guilty. That's what Paul says. That's chapter 1. And then he sort of turns the table and he, he addresses some other people who are very good, pious people. These are the Jewish people who had a different law, not just the one in their hearts. They actually had God's law printed in the scrolls, in the Ten Commandments. It was given to them very clearly. And Paul says, you guys who know the law, you too do not even keep it. So Paul says of these Jewish people who are, in general, pretty good people, that they too are guilty. He says everyone is under the law of God. Whether that law is the law printed in the scrolls or printed in our hearts. So think about this for a minute. Just Some of you may have you know, been in different experiences where you were in courtrooms. That's the setting that Paul is giving us here. This is a courtroom setting. And it's not just any courtroom. It's not like the one you go down the street. It's the courtroom of heaven. And you are the defendant. What's that mean for those of us who've never used those words? What's a defendant? Help us out. You're the one being accused. You're on trial, okay? And God is the judge. He's sitting up there in his robes, in his majesty. He is the judge. And there's a prosecuting attorney, and that's the law. Now, the law is good, but in this case, it tells us what's true. So you, here you are in this courtroom of heaven, and you're about to receive your sentence. How do you feel? You can just answer that in your head. You're about to get a verdict. It's either guilty or not guilty of God's law. So the law, this prosecuting attorney, starts going down the list, and here it pulls out the Ten Commandments, either printed in your heart or printed in the scrolls. He starts at the fourth commandment. She'll honor your father and mother. And he says, if you have dishonored authority, your verdict will be traitor. Goes to the fifth commandment. You shall not murder. And he says, if you have hated, your verdict will be murderer. Goes to the sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. And says, if you have lusted, your verdict, adulterer. Goes to the seventh commandment shall not steal, and says, if you have stolen, your verdict, a thief. Goes to the Eighth Commandment, shall not bear false witness, and says, if you have lied, your verdict will be a liar. Goes to the Ninth and Tenth Commandments, you shall not covet, and says, if you have coveted, your verdict, idolater. Oh. So how do we feel? And why does any of this matter? Why does Paul bring this up here in Romans chapter 3? Why does he assure us that at this courtroom of heaven, every mouth will be stopped? Why does he remind us that each of us will be held accountable to God? Why does he tell us that by the works of the law that we just heard against us, no one will be declared free? No one will be declared righteous? Oh, why does Paul remind us of our sin? In this day and age, 504 years since the start of the Reformation, 
What about us? We're in a different context than, than in the 1517. Are we still haunted by our sins? Or are we past it? Are we still aware of God's righteous wrath, his law against us? Do we even think about a heavenly verdict, guilty or not guilty? Or do we just, are we past that? Does the concept of justification being declared right or wrong, does that even cross our minds? Well, as I was thinking about this, I think that on this Halloween Reformation Day, many of us are still haunted, haunted by God. But instead of many of us fleeing from and being afraid of the righteous wrath of God, many of us have sort of turned the tables. So it's kind of in your mind, you just this whole scene just shifts and people are in a different position. We are now standing up to fight. We have become the judge. And God has become the defendant. We look at the pain and the suffering in the world and we demand answers from God. So justification in the courtroom of heaven, it's still here. It's still heavy. But in this crazy world, it's shifted. We've switched seats with God. We've put ourselves in the judge's bench and God must justify himself to us. We've made him the defendant. We say things like this, and rightly so. God, if you're a God of love, why is there so much suffering? God, if you're a God of peace, why does this world hate each other so much? God, if you're a God of healing, why is there so much brokenness? God, if you're a God that provides everything, why are so many without their basic needs? God, if you're a God of truth, why does truth seem to have changed? God, if you are a God of mercy, where's your mercy to the ones I love? God, if you're a God of joy, why don't people rejoice at your story? And God, if you're a God of incarnation, why do you seem so far away? Maybe you have those thoughts sometimes. So yeah, justification, it still matters. We are haunted by it. Whether we sit in the defendant seat, judged by God, or we sit judging God in the judge's bench, we are haunted by justification. Here are the questions. How can we ever be right with God when we've done so much wrong? And how can God ever be right with us when the world seems so wrong? So today, St. Paul addresses both of those fears and so many more. He addresses our fears of a holy God and our fears of an absent God. Take a look at your text, your epistle to the Romans. Let's look at verse 21. There's a, uh, the word but there. This is a very big contraction, contradiction, whatever. <laughs> but now, these, put these, I, I, when I printed my sermon just now, I put it in all caps. You should circle this. This is a huge uh, change from the previous two sentences. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Get this? Like, we're at the courtroom of heaven. There's nothing we can say except guilty. And that's not good. And so we hear from Paul. He says, but now there's a different righteousness. And it's not about the law because the law says you're guilty. And we know it. Now the righteousness of God comes apart from the law. But there's another righteousness for us. And Paul says this, the law and the prophets, that is the scriptures, they bear witness to it. Okay, that's what Paul says. So what is this other righteousness? 
that's not about keeping the law. What is this righteousness outside the law? Where is it written? Right? So I'm going to look at two places in the scriptures, one from the law and one from the prophet. Now, you see the word the law there, the law and the prophets bear witness to it. It's capital L, law. Do you see that? He, Paul is referring there to a part of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. And that's the first five books of the Bible. Anyone know, want to say the first five books of the Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are officially the law part of the Bible. There's lots and lots of laws there, hundreds of laws that the people of Israel were supposed to keep and that we're supposed to keep. That's the law. Do this. Right? But there's a lot of gospel in that law that Paul says it's outside the code of the law. So think about what's the very middle of those five books? See if your brains are working. What? Leviticus. Now, I don't think it's by accident. In the middle of Leviticus, which is the middle of the law, right in the middle is chapter 16. And chapter 16 is not law at all. It's all gospel. It's all good news for us. It's the story of the Day of Atonement. I invite you to read it later. It's a, it's a fascinating chapter. And so what would happen is that on the Day of Atonement, and Jewish people still celebrate this, although they no longer sacrifice animals, there's two goats. Two goats that are given for the people. And these two goats, uh, the first one is sacrificed, and its blood is thrown on the mercy seat. And that was to cover the people's sins. And then there was a second goat. Um, Ken's going to read about uh, that second goat from Leviticus 16, um, verses 20 to 22. All right, did you catch that? You may have to read it again, but uh, Leviticus 16. First goat covers by its blood, covers the mercy seat to show us our sins are covered. Second goat, as Ken read, Aaron, the high priest, confesses all the sins of the people. And then the goat is led away. The goat carries the sins and is set free in the wilderness. Now, is this just a nice story of some ancient people trying to make themselves feel better? No, <laughs> you know this. This is God's story put, showing us how Jesus would cover our sins, how he would carry away our sins. And it's the righteousness, this is the righteousness of God, apart from keeping the law, apart from the works of the law. So that's one place from the middle of the middle of the law, pure gospel for us. Another one is from Isaiah. He said the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The other one is Isaiah. Just There's tons of them. Uh, gospel that comes to us in the prophets. But one is Isaiah 55. Uh, I pulled this one out because it's a trick-or-treat verse. Um, I think, Dave, do you have Isaiah 55, verse 1? Okay, listen carefully. It's a trick-or-treat verse. Listen very carefully. Come, 
All right, so Dave is reading from the English Standard Version. I'm going to read from the, um, the Halloween Standard Version. All right, it's very similar, but here it is. Uh, let's adapt it just a little bit. He says, come, everyone who likes chocolate. Is that any of you? Anyone who likes chocolate, come to the front doors. All you big kids, all you little kids who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy, not wine, but why not? Don't, not chocolate, but milk chocolate, Reese's Pieces, Hershey's Kisses, without money and without price. Does that sound about right? Yeah. What Dave just read in the English Standard Version is basically Halloween, right? So I know that in Buffalo it's a little bit weird about Halloween where you, you knock on the door, you, know, you get all dressed up, you know, in your costume, you go to the front door, and there's a few mean people out there and they make you tell a joke or something to get a piece of candy, right? Are you familiar with those mean people? Are you one of those mean people? You're not. I know some of you are. You're not admitting it. All right. The rest of the people in America, they don't make you uh, tell a joke or anything like that. You just go up to the door, and you hold out. You say trick or treat, and then you hold out your plastic pumpkin, right? And what do the people do? They just throw it in, right? Whatever it is that, that they want to give you, they give it to you. Uh, do you have to pay for it? No. Do you have to go back the next day and rake their leaves? No, your parents pull out their phone and do Venmo? No. It's totally free, right? And that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it so awesome. It is totally free, totally fun. That's exactly the gospel. So now let's read Romans 3.21. Look at your epistle. This is the good news Verse 21 says this, and this is very dense. We won't camp on this because uh, it is something to just mull over. But here it is. Verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's very dense, but it's very beautiful. So the question I asked before, how can we be right with God when we've done so much wrong? Well, Paul tells us that we are justified. And again, that means declared righteous. This verdict for you is not only not guilty, it is righteous. So we are declared righteous. How? By his grace, as a gift. It's on the house. Put your pumpkin out there to be received by faith. You didn't do anything for it. You just let it drop in and enjoy it. So God tells us that apart from the law, anything you've done, you are justified, made righteous. It's free. Isn't that beautiful? That's the way God does it. Just like you don't use Venmo and try to pay back the people for your kids, you can't pay God back. But are you grateful? Do you rejoice given this gift? Yes, absolutely. It's free, but it's not cheap. It's, as Paul says, by the redemption that's in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a, what's that word? Propitiation. Not an everyday English word, is it? It goes back to that story of the two goats, right? One that covers our sins, one that removes our sins. God put Jesus forward for us. 
So we no longer need to be haunted by a guilty verdict in the heavenly courtroom. So as I finish up, what about this other haunting that I mentioned? The, the haunting of an absent God. God, where are you? What about that haunting and all the other fears that flow from that? What about that? How can God be right with us when it seems like the world is so wrong and my life is so wrong? Is God a ghost who is mostly absent? Who doesn't care about our hurts and sufferings and questions? You all know this. No, we have a creator who takes our flesh, who takes the greatest suffering into himself. We see this most specifically as he hangs on the cross for us and dies for us. He's the furthest thing from a ghost. You know this because of your heart. The whole creation is burdened with trouble. You got a trouble's a mile long, right? With your friends and family. The whole world is burdened. But with what um, but we rejoice that our Creator, Jesus, has put on flesh, has taken our burden upon himself, just like the scapegoat, taking the trouble of Israel. But unlike that scapegoat who goes out in the wilderness by itself, Jesus stays with us in our suffering. Christ has died for our sins. But if you read Romans 4, it says that he was raised for our justification. He is at work making all things right. Even though you don't see it, he's at work. And this justifying work of Jesus will make everything right. And as we close, Mike's going to read Romans 8.21 uh, another beautiful verse that Paul tells us uh, later in this book. Go ahead, Mike. There is a beautiful future waiting for us. All of creation. Jesus is at work making it new. So even now, Halloween, Reformation, Jesus takes suffering of the world on himself and he will make it all new. He's not a ghost who ignores your suffering. He's our risen Lord who gives and gives and gives. So now may the peace of God, which passes all our understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.